welcome to the Enhanced Living Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Kruger. I believe that we all have within us the power to be everything that we are meant to be and so much more. This show is a weekly dose of practical and spiritual principles, strategies, tips, and ideas to help you grow into the best version of yourself. Here's to becoming exactly who you were meant to become. I've been called a human Swiss army knife because I'm a TV host, inspirational speaker and coach, live event MC and DJ, certified yoga and Ayurveda teacher, functional fitness enthusiast, author, husband, and dad with a voracious appetite for knowledge. And I'll be sharing real talks with successful people from all walks of life, spiritual teachers and masters, and experts in many different fields. I'll also share my own perspective that I've gained from over 20 years of diligent meditation and spiritual work so we can all experience enhanced living. Are you ready to evolve? Let's do this. All right, welcome back to the show. Today's a super, super special episode because I have none other than one of the most amazing human beings I've had the pleasure of knowing, and I've had the pleasure of knowing her for as long as she's alive. Today, I have my sister on the show. She is an accomplished actress, an amazing mom, and an amazing wife to her awesome husband. I know that's a lot of adjectives to describe some amazingness in my personal situation as well as hers, but she's she's really wonderful. She has too many credits to list, but I will list a few. You will have definitely seen her on Young and the Restless, Bold and the Beautiful, Entourage, A Very Corgi Christmas, Home is Where the Killer Is, which is just as suspenseful and crazy as it sounds. <laughs> she's been on iZombie, From Friend to Fiance, and so many more. My sister, Kelly Kruger Brooks, is here on the show with me today today. Kelly, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to do this with you. I know it's, it's weird, right? Because we're, we, we know each other so well. I know. So well, we're brother and sister, (laughs) but we've been friends forever. And and now here I am interviewing you. But honestly, I think that it's so important because I know that my listeners would benefit from so much of what you've gone through and so much of, you know, you've, you've succeeded in so many ways and together we've, we've always bounced things off of each other. And so I want to start in the place of you, you, finished high school at 17 years old, right? In Canada, that's what when you finish. Well, in Quebec, I should say, because the rest of Canada is very much like Montreal. I mean, like the States. Hello. But you finished high school and then immediately you were just like, yeah, I'm out. And you just you left. You went to L.A. at 17 years old. And I first of all, that's beyond and, and gutsy and just amazing. What gave you the courage and the drive to just go, you know what? Forget this. I'm gone. Yeah, that's a huge question. There's a lot of things, elements that go into that and making that decision ultimately. But what I can say is that since I was straight out of the womb, I knew I wanted to be an actress. It's been in my blood. I grew up performing, as as you know, doing everything from singing, dancing, playing piano, figure skating, gymnastics, which by the way, I only started figure skating because you were playing hockey and <laughs> <laughs> and we had a father who would show up at every single game practice. I think he was your coach, right? For the, for your hockey team. Yeah, right? he the did. He for- did coach. He coached my team for one season. It was, it was, it was not a good season for me, <laughs> but I just remember <laughs> him showing up to everything for you. And I was sort of, I grew up in your shadow, a, a lot of our childhood. So everything that I did, I was always trying to, sort of live up to what you were doing. So because I couldn't play <laughs> hockey or ring it <laughs> because mom said I would get crushed, I started figure skating, but that's a whole other topic. So for, for me, I grew up, as you know, really, really shy little girl. But when I was performing and I was on stage, I just came to life and I lived for it. And I used to stay home from school and fake sick and rent the same movies Remember back then was VHS, so you had to rewind everything mm-hmm. <laughs> over and over. We didn't have anything digital. So I'd, I'd memorize the same scene over and over again, and I'd go up into my room and reenact those scenes with my stuffed animals. And not only was it therapeutic for me, I loved it so much. And I remember feeling when I was little, because we, we went through such a hard time during our childhood, my dream was to one day grow up and be the person that I needed to look up to when I was little, if that makes sense. So the field of acting, as much as I love the craft of acting, my entire intention and motivation for being an actress is to inspire, give hope, entertain. If I can make someone laugh when they want to cry or cry with them and give them hope and play characters that 
I'm very, very attracted to, to roles that have a, a really big arc, people who start maybe very broken and then throughout the series or the film, the arc of the film, by the end, they've gained their strength and they've succeeded. And that's why I think I, I've, I've actually been lucky enough to, to do a lot of true stories. I've done a few films that are based on true stories and it's me feeling like I need to do this justice and show people that this really can happen and you really can win in the end. And so uh, that's always been my goal is mm. to is to give hope, inspire, entertain, like I said, make people laugh, make them cry and and really help people change their lives. And if I could do that through the craft of acting, then great. It's also why I started my blog, Madison Charles. It's why even the line of essential oils that we started, but I'm getting very off track. Why did <laughs> I, why, what gave me the courage to move to Los Angeles at 17 years old? So given that I've always wanted to act and pursue my dream of being an actress, back then there wasn't a lot of opportunity in Montreal. Today there's a ton in Canada, but at that mm -hmm. time there wasn't a ton. And I, given how hard it was living in Montreal too, with the childhood that we had, mm -hmm. I had the opportunity to go out to LA for the summer to stay with our aunt and uncle and see what can happen. So I would like to add too that I was also the kid who had crazy separation anxiety from <laughs> my mom and from you, mm -hmm. our mom. This is weird to do this with my brother. It's our okay. mom and you. <laughs> And I couldn't even sleep out one night away from home. I would cry in the middle of the night and come home. So let alone like pick up and just go to another country, even for a summer was crazy. We didn't know when I left that summer that I would move, would I, that I would actually be moving. But I had the opportunity to go stay. I have to, hold on. I have yeah. to interject real quick because yeah. I knew. You did. I did. Okay. I did. You knew because I watching you grow back. up, I, I knew. I knew. And I was sad and happy at the same time. But sorry, yeah. please continue. Yes. So for me at that time, that summer was just for the summer. I didn't know that that was going to be the, the real big move. So I went and I just, something happened where I said, in my gut, I was like, if I don't do this now, I'll never do it. And I would be out walking the streets with my aunt, with our aunt, mm -hmm. my aunt or our aunt. It's our aunt. <laughs> <laughs> just, like, who am I talking to? <laughs> just, okay. Here, okay. With so our for, aunt. for this I'll, is inter difficult. I'll, I'll interject one more time okay. for my listeners right now. Um, Kelly is going to be talking to you or talking to me as if we're not related, and and it's going to be weird because she's my sister and we know each other so well. But this is this is how it's going to go. So you say our aunt. You can okay. say my aunt. You okay. can say how whatever is, makes you. I would Pretend like to say I'm I've me. done I've done inter <laughs> so many interviews and podcasts where I'm really talking to someone who has no idea about my life, but here I'm talking to someone who lived it with me. So it's it's a little I'm a little confused by this whole process. <laughs> We're just gonna go deeper. That's all. We'll go okay. deeper today. It'll be yeah. it'll be great. I've I've yes. There's a lot okay. to unpack already, but I, I want to hear yeah this. So you were walking with our aunt. Yes, I was walking with our aunt, and I would constantly get people coming up to me handing me cards for modeling agencies. They were scouts. And I was thinking, I was always like, why are they coming up to me? I'm short. I mean, at the time, granted, Kate Moss was, you know, very popular and she was shorter. She was five, seven, but I couldn't understand it because I'll be very honest with you. I grew up feeling constantly just like an outcast, awkward, uncomfortable in my own skin. I never saw myself as someone who could be a model. Yes, I did it as a kid. I did a bunch of catalog work and stuff like that, but it just never felt like it was a career path for me. So I was always very confused by it, but our aunt said, you know what? You're getting all these cards. Let's just go straight to the top. So she walked me into elite and I'll never forget that <laughs> I walked in and it was all of these girls with professional modeling books, like real, they were professional shoots. And I walked in with a four by six photo of my high school prom <laughs> <laughs> getting ready, wearing a dress. And I was like, what am I even doing here? And they ultimately sent everybody home and kept me. And I was faced with the decision. The booker, Monica, looked at me and I'll never forget it. And she said, you're going to be part of our new faces division. And I'm so excited about you. I think she even lied about my height because I was only 5'5". So again, the height thing was always a, th a thing for me. And she said, 
I want to offer you a contract, but in order, obviously, to, to do it, you're going to have to move here. And I remember being like, this is the hardest decision. I was registered for CGEP, which is, for those who don't know, in, in Montreal, it's sort of like the junior college. Mm-hmm. I was registered for that in the fall. And I called my mom and I said, I have this opportunity, but I'll only do it if you move with me. <laughs> because I didn't want to leave. And she said, of course, I'm going to move with you, even though she knew she had no intention. She had you at home. She had our stepdad, Bobby. She she wasn't moving, but she knew she had to lie to me because if I if she didn't, she knew that I wouldn't leave her and that I would regret this for the rest of my life and that this was the opportunity for me. So I should have probably picked up on the fact that she had no intention of moving when she came that summer to get me settled in and cried harder than I've ever seen her cry. (laughs) And in my head, I was like, why is she crying so much? She's moving in a month, (laughs) but she was never going to move. I mean, luckily today she's here, but, but at that time she had no intention of it. And that's why our mom is so amazing is that she really just as hard as that was for her, she knew what was best for me and she knew I had to do it. And so that's basically the long answer as to, so I decided at that moment, yeah, that, that, that I was like, I have to do this in order to pursue my dreams. So I used modeling as a stepping stone to get into the acting world. I never wanted to model. I hated the life. I always remember thinking at every shoot that I was doing that, God, I wish I was doing this to promote a movie. I wish that this photo shoot was for, you know, a role that I'm playing. I just, I didn't like the world of modeling. And so I just used that, used it to drive me to meet people and to be able to get my foot in the door to start my career as an actress. That's amazing. First of all, I mean, there's a lot of that stuff that obviously I know, and you know, we've, we've talked about it, but I just want to, you know, touch on, on one little thing for my listeners, because I want them to understand how obsessed with things you were when, when you were still living in Montreal, there was one period of time where Kelly decided to fake sick for two days and she watched the movie Grease. I want to, I want to say like, literally it was, she would watch it from, from beginning to end, rewind it and start again. And she did this on loop for as for her whole waking hours of two whole days. And I remember, I remember wanting to go insane because all I heard was the soundtrack to Greece, like repetitive, just completely consistently going through my head. And she would be like, you got to be Danny. I'm going to be Sandy. And I'm like, Kelly, that's weird. And, and, and <laughs> you, you know, it was, it, it, if there was ever anyone who was meant to perform, I mean, it was always you. Like, this is something that I always knew. And it's so funny because, you know, I obviously came to entertainment uh, a little bit later because I didn't know what I wanted to do. And I honestly, you know, you say you had, you felt like an outcast and you felt awkward growing up. And, you know, for my listeners, if you've been listening for a long time, you know that I felt that way too. And for both of us to sit there feeling that way when both of us obviously are not necessarily outcasts, like, neither one of us, like, you know, it's not like we were dissecting pigs in our spare time, you know what I mean? Or like picking apart squirrels or whatever. Like we were normal. Well, we were normal. well I used to pick apart worms. Remember with my bare hands when we would go fishing and I used to like Ugh, rip the gross. worms apart. Okay. Well, you were two, Kelly, you were maybe yeah. three, three years old. I mean, what three-year-old doesn't do stuff like that. So I'll give you a pass. Okay. The point is, is we, you know, we weren't like catching squirrels and tearing them apart limb from limb for no reason. Like, but we did, I, I, I know that there was this, this feeling of not fitting in. Right. And what do you suppose is the root of that? I mean, I know what my answer is, but why do you think that you felt like you never fit in? I think the biggest rejection you can ever get in life is from a parent. Mm -hmm. So when your own parent doesn't want you or you're never good enough or they can just kind of turn their back on you. I think that leaves a hole in your self-esteem and self-worth where you never feel good enough or like you really fit in anywhere because we grew up without uh, really, I mean, we had a father figure in the beginning of our life and then he went away and it just, I think that rejection to this day makes me feel unworthy of things. And so And that, 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 and what do I mean by that? So even in a group of people, you know, you can have all of these accomplishments in life and and I know who I am as a person. I know that the heart that I have and and how much I want to help people and, you know, what I've achieved. But if you notice, you can attest to the fact that I'm always like, well, 
you know, if you say, oh, you're so successful, my answer is always like, no, I'm not. There's people that, you know, I, I'm, I never fully have, I think, that real confidence in what I've accomplished. And I always need to do better and better and better. And I don't know if that stems from childhood. And like I said, living in your shadow, never being good enough, not to make you feel bad in any way, because that wasn't you. It wasn't you. It was the environment that we were being brought up in. And I want to go on record and say that our mother is the only reason why uh, we are who we are today. And stepdad, Bobby, he, when he came in later, he really helped me, you know, show me a little bit about what, um, you know, father-daughter relationship should look like. But I think that, I think, and I think because we were having such a hard time at home, I would go to school and hope that that would be my escape and that I would be accepted. And I grew up around a group of people who weren't as necessarily accepting, except for a couple who were very, very special to me that really got me through that time in my life. I don't know what I would have done without them. But, you know, I, I think that's the thing. Like, I'll give one example of what I mean by that. We grew up, you know, pretty well off until the age of around 12 for me, 14 for you, I would say. Mm-hmm. And a little before that, I think, but yeah. Maybe like 10, 11, somewhere around Thir- there. 13, 11, 12, yeah. Yeah, anyway. 13, 11. Okay. We're, we're splitting hairs at this point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and all of a sudden, everything was just taken away from us pretty much overnight. And we went from having a lot to living below poverty. Our mother mm-hmm. was working three jobs to put food on the table. And we had gone to a private school and she really didn't want to uproot us. So she basically worked out a, a somehow a way to be able to make payments to keep us in our school so that our entire life wasn't completely uprooted. And, you know, and I'll never forget, she had a friend who owned a clothing store. And this is very, very, there's, there's two moments in my childhood with the girls that I grew up with that really, I think, affected me um, and go along with what you asked about why I've never felt like I fit in. And she found a way to, to buy me clothes for the school year. Not a lot, but enough to, to feel like I could have some outfits <laughs> to wear to school. And I'll never forget being so excited that I finally had new clothes. And I had some of my friends over and I was so excited to share it with them. And I was so excited to show them, you know, all my new clothes that, that I had because they were always in new clothes and I was always very happy for them. And I'll never forget one of the girls looked up at me and said, I thought you guys were poor. And I remember feeling in that moment, like, like my whole world just like, yeah, what would it, yeah, she's hundred percent right. We are poor. I don't deserve this stuff. I don't mm-hmm. deserve to, to, to feel good or to like to, you know, I, so even when I could fit in, let's say at that very, very, what was I 13, 14 years old, I was still reminded that I didn't, I wasn't like them. We didn't have the, I don't know about you, but for me, I only had, I don't even think I had one friend who didn't, who came from a broken home, whose parents weren't together. I had I, one also. I, yeah, I, I, I don't even think I had one. I'm trying to think, like, I don't even think I had one. So for me, it was like, I was different. I, I never really fit in. Another story I want to share that that's kind of, I think, helped molded me, I guess, to, to what I do today on social media and stuff is, uh, is, you know, mom had gotten me this pair of pants that I loved more than anything. And if this story is boring, you can cut it. No. <laughs> <laughs> I loved more than anything. They were these striped pants. I loved them. I was so excited about them. To me, they were high fashion and I wore them to my friend's house. And it was four girls there. And I remember them looking at me and being like, what are those pants? Those are the ugliest things. And they started making fun of me. And and I forget the analogies that they would use and the things that they would say. But I remember, again, just feeling so small and feeling like, oh, my God, why would I like this? This is this is not like, you know, and just being so insecure. I never wore those pants again. And but I really love them. (laughs) And it's like, you know, that was my, I guess independence and my personality and trying to like play with fashion and and wear something that maybe was and they weren't that crazy they they were a little 70s inspired i used to get made fun of that i was like a 70s flower child but that was this kind of stuff i like to wear and again it was like i think it's just all encompassing you know it was just all i didn't 
fit in. We didn't have a, 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 a stereotypical happy home at home. And then I would go out into the world with my friends and I was never quite, even when I could fit in, I was always being reminded that I didn't fit in. So I think all of that molded me to today where I still don't feel like I really fit anywhere. Mm -hmm. If that makes sense. No, it does. And, and, you know, as you're talking, I remember, I remember, you know, obviously as your older brother, I've, I've always been super protective of you. And I mean, I remember a time in the schoolyard when we were like, 10 and eight or whatever. And some kids stole your stickers and I beat them up because of it. And which in, in retrospect, that was a bit of an overblown <laughs> reaction to stealing your stickers. But that was kind of the way that 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 I saw things. And I remember, you know, I know the group of friends that you're talking about. And I remember growing up, I hated your friends, except for like two of them. There mm -hmm. were like two or three that I thought were good. And that I was like, okay, these are these are good people. But for the most part, I couldn't stand your friends. Because I could see what was going on. And much to the same to the same kind of effect, I had a lot of trouble fitting in. And and I understand where you're coming from. And it's interesting to see because, you know, when you think about this is something I talk about on the show a lot, which is that hurt people hurt people. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. And so you were just doing your thing and trying to, you know, be where you were. And you had this perception of your friends that they had this perfect life. But what you probably don't know, and what I don't know either. But what's the likeliest thing is that their home life wasn't as great as they made it out to be. Mm -hmm. And they were hurting, too. And you were an easy target. Well, and can I interrupt for one second? I want to say not one... an interruption. It was. A, it was yeah, go. Please. Yeah, I want to say one thing there. There was one friend that I had and I want to say her name. You can it's... if you want to. That's okay. up to you. So her name was is Lindsay and mm -hmm. she. Really was the greatest friend to me through it all, no matter what. She was someone who just did what she wanted to do. She didn't care about what people said or, or, you know, and she was, I always thought of her as the coolest girl. She always had the best clothes. She, her parents had a lot of money and she was, and I'll never forget. We used to go to Cavendish mall after school every day to eat mm -hmm. in the, food court. I remember. And she knew that we didn't have money and she knew that I wouldn't necessarily always be able to buy food. Mm -hmm. And she used to always slip me a loony or a toonie or like a couple of dollars to be able to get. Hold on. Have to, have to interrupt. A loony is a dollar in Canada and a toonie is a $2 coin in Canada. So for, and you know, anyone who's listening outside of Canada at this moment in time, just so you know, that's yeah. money, you yeah. know, because anyone She's, else who doesn't know listening loony or toony, they're like, what, what did she that? just say? What is she talking about? That's funny. <laughs> um, she wouldn't let anyone know she was doing it. She wouldn't make it a big deal. I would always say, no, 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 no. And she would just, and if I wouldn't take it, she would go buy me that McDonald's fry or whatever it was, the plate of Chinese food that we loved at that little thing that I, that little, I used to love it. Oh my God, it's so good. This noodle dish. But, <laughs> and she never, it was never a thing. And it was like, those are moments that I'll never forget because, and she wouldn't, and, and, and I guess that why I'm bringing it up is it wasn't like she would show people like, Oh, look, I'm paying for it. Oh, she can't, you know, she would do it in a way that was almost like secret between us. It was like, she would like slip it to me and, and make it like a, not a big deal. And I, I can't explain what that meant to me. It was, it was almost like secretly she was saying she was making it so that I wouldn't feel left out and I wouldn't feel like I couldn't be a part of that well she was um, being a true friend yeah yeah she was being a true friend and thankfully we were blessed with those growing mm -hmm. up you know yeah. I want to touch on something real quick because you know there's there's actually a lot of stuff that you had said that I wanted to unpack and for a start you know you had said that you started figure skating because you felt like you were growing up in my shadow which by the way is something that has never really dawned on me because you know as far as I was concerned I was just your older brother I was doing what I was doing I was just as lost as you were and then you left and went to LA and became famous and so and then I was just the guy who, who who then moved out to L.A. after finishing university. And I was trying to figure out my thing and, and went down the path that I went down and and always felt that, oh, well, there's my successful sister. And here I am trudging along and doing my thing. And so it's interesting, the parallels, because, you know, while you felt one way, I felt the same way. Do you know what I'm saying? And that's not something that you probably ever even knew. Mm -hmm. And so so looking at that whole thing, it's 
how did you how did you get to the point where you were just because again you you decided to go right which showed a lot more courage than I had at the time I finished I I did the school thing I finished it I finished university I got my degree I did what I was doing and then I looked around and I was like oh I don't know what the heck I'm gonna do and it took me literally I I graduated at at 23 years old. And it took me an additional almost 15 years to figure out exactly what I wanted to do with my life. Mm-hmm. How did you, how, like, you just always knew. And that was something that I always looked at you and I was like, wow, man, that's just, oh God, she's so lucky. Like, it's so, like, what is it like always knowing what you, like, you, you always knew, right? And then, and then you literally just, you showed up in LA, like most people do, thinking they're going to succeed. You thought you were going to fail. You had no confidence. And yet here you were succeeding immediately. What was that like? Well, let me say this. I knew the one thing that has always been certain to me was that I was going to succeed as an actress. So what's interesting about the craft of acting is you get to play different people. You get to be different people. So when I am in a role, I'm not Kelly. There's parts of Kelly in every role, of course, but I'm able to live this incredible fantasy life of what would be if I, if I made these choices and if I was this person. So there was never a doubt in my mind that I was going to succeed in some capacity as an actress. And I can't really put that into words as to the feeling that, and, and I can say to this day, when I go a certain amount of time without acting or being on set, there's a part of my soul that, that aches. I can't explain it. It's like, I need to perform. I need to get into that world and break down a character. And you know what I mean? I, I, um, it's a part of who I am. It's a part of what I need to do. I get and it. So, so I think I just have always known, I mean, there's a video of me when I was 12 years old and, you know, I, I, I remember seeing it and it just being like, I'm going to be an actress. And I remember mm-hmm. someone in the video said, ew, <laughs> like, <laughs> and someone said who, you know, and this is also very interesting and it's, it contradicts everything that I said because about not feeling like I belonged, but I guess it, it doesn't because in a way, even though I didn't belong or fit into the mold maybe who I was, was okay, but I just never felt that I deserved good things because I think those things, those bad things were always being done to me. You know what I mean? If, if this makes any sense, but no, it does. But one of the things that I said was, you know, the, the photographer, the videographer who was filming me said, if you could be one person, who would you want to be like Julia Roberts? I, I had a lot of obviously famous women I looked up to and wanted to be. And he's like, so who would it be? Julia Roberts, blah, blah, blah. And I said, myself. And then the person next to me said, ew. And I said, no, I want to be myself. I want to, I don't want to do something because someone else is doing it. I want to do it because I'm doing it. And I want to be myself. And I think that's also what's so attractive to me about my career as an actress is that I get to be Kelly with the mask of someone else, if that makes sense. I step into these roles. I bring the parts of me, the heart and the soul, but I don't have to like. It's fake. It's fake. You get, you get to be, you get to be yourself, but with, with, with a protective shell. Right. Where nobody's judging me necessarily. Well, only for your your performance, for my performance, but your performances are always amazing. So Of course. No. So I want to, I want to, I have to interject here real quick Mm -hmm. because I I think it's a really important thing for, for anyone listening right now to understand Kelly was very unsure of certain things. Kelly was rejected. Kelly was in a, in a weird place where she felt like she didn't deserve goodness, but yet she was so sure that she was going to succeed as an actress. That's how strong the, the law of attraction is. You knew there was no doubt in your mind whatsoever that you were going to succeed. And guess what? You are succeeding, period. By any measure, you have achieved success. By any measure. You can look at your credits. You can look at your resume. You can look at all the different things that you've done. You have succeeded. And you will continue to succeed because that that undying belief is what creates that success. It's that simple. So I just wanted to point out right there that that's how powerful the law of attraction is. When you doubt yourself, you're literally putting up roadblocks for yourself. But when you know without beyond the shadow of a doubt 
that you're going to succeed. You, you can't but succeed. Even someone who's sitting there going, I've been rejected by my, my dad. I've been uh, rejected by my friends, even though who knows what that was all about. To be honest, I will go easily venture right now that it's a jealousy thing. At the end of the day, people, people are people, right? And I look back on the entire life. You know, there was one point where you said that you know, you are who you are only because of mom and because of Bobby and because of, you know, learning whatever. But I, I personally believe that we are who we are because of every single circumstance in our life and because of every little thing that we've experienced and then chosen to move forward and continually work on ourselves. We have the same upbringing, but it was different. I was, I experienced a different childhood than you did. It was harder for you. And so and, and that's something that, you know, there's been guilt in me for that, too. Like, truth be told, like, I've looked at things and, and gone, ah, you know, I, I want her to succeed more than me because of all the stuff that went down. I don't feel that way anymore, of course, because I don't believe that anyone should succeed or not succeed based on anything other than, hey, you know what? We all deserve happiness. We all deserve greatness. And that's that's how I see things. Now, I, I thought it was really interesting when you you were talking about how you had such a tough childhood and you decided you wanted to be what you always needed, but didn't have. So how has that shaped how you are as a mom and how you are as a wife? How do you feel like that that's kind of come into play in, in, in your personal life with respect to, you know, wanting to be what you never had? Well, I think, wow, that's a huge question. (laughs) (laughs) I think that every day is a challenge because I'm always trying to be the best version of me for myself, for my husband, for my daughter. I think that how has, sorry, repeat the question. I want to know. So you said, you said that just, you, my brain just went on like, that's okay. No, that's all right. Yeah. I, Cause I think this is important. And actually I'm going to add on to it because we had mom who lied to you and said, going to move out, but didn't mm-hmm. right. Which is we both understand on a, on a logical level that she had to do that. Otherwise you wouldn't go. And she did that for your own good, mm-hmm. but you've also been lied to a lot in your life yeah. where it's been a deception and it's been to hide something from you. Right. And so then at the same time, you're looking at your life and going, wow, my, my, my life was this, I want to be what I always needed, but never had for myself. Right. But you're also dealing with this level of like, we are two people who have been lied to more than probably most ever in life. I mean, I mean, unless you grew up in the president's family at this point. Okay, no politics aside. No joke. We've been lied to a lot. Mm -hmm. Right. And so you decided that you wanted to be what you needed, but never had growing up. So I want to know a how that's played out for your current life. Right. With respect to being a mom, being a wife. And then also how has the deception that we've endured as we grew up, how has that factored in also? Well, that's been haunting me my entire life. So that has affected every relationship I've ever been in because I don't take things at face value. If someone says something like, let's use my husband, Darren, for example, he is the most trustworthy, honest, loyal person. He grew up with the perfect example of what a healthy, loving, respectful relationship between a man and a woman is. His parents have been married for 50 years. They, his dad worships his mom. He only knows one thing. I know, of course, the opposite. (laughs) And for example, when, if he says he's going to get the mail, (laughs) you know what I mean? To me, it's always like, well, where's he really going? because we were always lied to about everything. So it's always what's really underneath, both with my female and male relationships, even though our mother was so honest. Okay, granted, she lied to me about a couple of things like moving to LA and, you know, at the age of very young, I don't remember, maybe 11 and asking her certain things about her marriage and or asking if she's okay. And she would always say, I'm fine when I knew she was lying. And I, I but it was none of our business, to be honest. It wasn't. But I felt it was right because <laughs> I always knew I just knew. And so I don't take things at face value when people say things. It's always what's really going on. What are they really saying? What are they really doing? And I've been working on that for years and it's still there. And I have to always consciously stop and say, OK, if he says this is what it is, this is what it is. And don't automatically assume something else is going on. And that's been an exhausting battle for me throughout my life. And 
one thing I do with Everly with my daughter is even though she's so young, she's only a year. <laughs> if I say I'm going to do something, I do it. If I say we're going to go play on your tricycle today, even if I don't feel like I have the time to do that, she's getting on that tricycle today. Mom was like that with us for sure. But everything I say has to be what happens. And I'm, I really try hard to do that. And the same thing with Darren, if I say I'm going to do something or I say I'm doing something, and I think to a fault, I give so much information about my day. So if I'm obviously pre-pandemic, pre-baby, when I was just out and about or on location filming something, I would have to give him every single detail of what happened that day to the point where he would say, I don't need to know all of this. If I <laughs> talked to a, my co-star privately, if it, my co-star was a male, let's say, I'll just give you an example of this. And we were to, let's say, spend lunch together and talk about something. I would have to get on the phone with Darren and tell him exactly what we talked about. And then I had lunch. Why? Because I need him to know everything that is going on because that's something that I never had. I always, you know, or maybe it's that what I want. Maybe I do it. Maybe I did it because it's what I would want him to do so that I never feel blindsided by something. So it's been a psychological battle because for, for Darren, he's like, babe, I trust you talk to people, go to lunch, do whatever you want to do. You live your life. You don't have to A, ask me, B, you don't have to tell me about it. I trust you. And I always was so envious of that in him because I never fully trust anybody, really. It's like, and, and so therapy has helped with that and really taking the time to choose to surround myself with people who are good people and are trustworthy, which is why I chose to marry someone like Darren and really stop myself every time I feel that urge to question or to think about what they're really doing when they say they're doing something else. I stop myself and I really try and trust more because I really have a hard time trusting anyone or anything. That makes that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's really interesting because oftentimes on the show we talk about how people have overcome things, how what their what their attitude is towards achieving success. And we don't often go like this deep into the personal stuff. And I just I, I really want to kind of just point out here that so many people in the world are dealing with stuff, we're, especially now. You know, a lot of people are home. We're away from our regular everyday life. There's all sorts of stuff going on and we don't really know how to turn to things. And especially, you know, now during, you know, pandemic times and all the craziness, you know, we're spending more times with our more times, more time with our significant others. And it's bringing up all these different issues. And, you know, you've read about couples breaking up over over this whole thing and or people just there's just a lot of stuff. And I just think it's really interesting to, to show that a you're you're looking at your issues, you're aware of them, right? And you're you're doing something to actively overcome them. And that's exactly the idea behind enhanced living. It's about it's not about, hey, this, this show isn't perfect living. Hey, I'm perfect. You know, that that's a very boring show. And, and that's a very boring life too. Nobody's perfect. There is no such thing as perfection. There is basically life and, and then, and then what we show people and then what's going on on the inside. And when you bridge those two and show people, Hey, you know what? We're all the same. We're all working on our stuff. Hopefully some people don't care. Some people just blow through life, not caring at all what they're doing to other people. They take no responsibility for, for anything that's going on in their life. It's always someone else's fault. And those people tend to not grow. Now, luckily for us, our audience right now, this is all people who are looking to hope, hopefully expand and get better on a, on a daily basis. And so I just wanted to applaud you for that because, you know, taking hold of an issue, especially something as, as crazy as trust, because trust is so, it takes so much to build trust and it's so easy to lose it. it ta- it's one, it's one quick thing and the trust is gone. For sure. And one thing I want to say, I don't know if I mentioned what led, did, did I say Sorry, we could go ahead. Just keep just about, well, you know, we had a father who, if he said he was going out to get milk, did I say that? Mm -mm. Okay. So part of the, what's really going on underneath is as kids, if our father said he was going out to get milk, he would come back three hours later. And obviously he wasn't going out to get milk. So that's where, well, I mean, that depends. (laughs) 
<laughs> you know depends I mean? on your definition of getting milk, really. Exactly. But you know what I'm saying? Like, so it was always like, where, what's really going on? Where are you really going? Did I not say that at the beginning? No. Of the, oh, Mm-mm. I see. It, I have it's it's yeah. fine. It's so, fine. so I think that that's where that comes from. What's really happening underneath the surface, what's really going on. And back to what you were saying, I just wanted to, to preface like why that well, the perfect example, by the way, is how it's kind of like what's happening in the country right now. Nobody knows what to believe. And that's and that's the thing is when 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 you don't get honesty on a consistent basis and you're you're in the opposite place where you're constantly living with lies. Now, I want to talk about something real quick, because, as you know, I'm an empath. I can tell when someone's lying. I know it. I can feel other people's feelings. You're the same way. Yeah. So. I think it's even doubly hard for someone who's able to pick up on these little cues when someone's lying. Oh, I mean, if you are to look at me and say, I love you, but you really hate me, I know you hate me. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, that's, that's the real thing. And, you know, as an empath, I think it's a blessing and a curse, Mm -hmm. but the bad part of it is that you don't really know how to separate someone else's experience from your own. So you are constantly, you know, the end of the day for me is so exhausting because I'm constantly trying to fix other people or prevent here, Everly. I hear her. her. Yeah. Yeah. My little niece in the background. (laughs) (laughs) I think she just woke up. Yeah. It's with her. So I think that that it's hard being an empath because you do know when people are lying. And I think that that's part of what was so hard about my childhood and why I think why I feel like our father disliked me so much was because I feel like I was always sort of 10 steps ahead and almost like onto him about what was really going on. And he hated that about me. And I think that's where a lot of that started. So whereas you like, you didn't have that, you know what I mean? Well, the difference for me was I, I was in a really, really healthy relationship with denial. Mm-hmm. I had no idea what was going on because I chose not to know. I was literally like a happy-go-lucky, just like a total doof. I was just like, yep, everything's cool. Even though there were all these different things that came up where I was, I I just, I couldn't bring myself to believe any of the stuff that my emotions and my feelings were telling me. And that came out later with with my autoimmune and all that kind of stuff. That that all came to a head at some point because we always end up having to deal with what we're going to deal with. Now, Mm -hmm. I want to just kind of move forward now because... Obviously, you've overcome most of the stuff we're always going to be dealing with. And when I say we, I mean the, the collective we. Nobody ever really gets there. We're always dealing with whatever we're dealing with. And it's a daily. That's the thing. Like when you're trying to make yourself better, it's a, it's it, it's it's a never ending quest. You're always trying to be better. Right. So we're always going to be evolving and always going to be trying to make ourselves better and actively working towards it. I want to talk about how you were 17 years old in L.A. about to sign a modeling contract. And you're like, if I don't do it now. I'll never do it. Now, what I want to talk about here is this this feeling of so many people put things off and they're like, oh, I'll get to it later. I'll get to it later. I'll get to it later. And you had this, this amazing foresight at 17 to be able to go, no, it has to be done now. Like what, what, how did that, how did that happen for you? Was it just a gut instinct? It was a gut instinct. I knew if I didn't do it now, I would never do it. I knew that at that moment, if, if I had gone back to Montreal that fall and registered for school, I was there forever. And that was just it. I just knew it. I can't explain it. It was, you know, and it it was do or die when I got out to LA too, because I knew that if things didn't work out, I was going to have to go back. And I did not want to go back. Everybody was betting against me. People Mm -hmm. were saying, only a matter of time. When are you coming back? When are you coming back? Oh, she'll be back. She's not going to succeed. She's not going to make it. And I, I was definitely an underdog. So I think that that drive of people not believing in me and people just waiting for me to fail, put this sense of urgency that it has to happen now. And if I don't do it now, I'll never get out and I'll never live my dream and I'll never be able to do what I feel I was put on this earth to do. And that's not just being an actress. That's that's inspiring people. That's creating content that maybe could make you laugh where I have the the control. See, here's the interesting thing about being an actress. 
in order to get up in the morning and do what you love and do what your passion is, there are so many people that have to say yes in order for you to do that. You have to have your agent want to submit you on an audition. And then a casting director has to say, yes, we want to see her. And then you go and audition. And then that cast director has to say, yes, I'm going to send you to producers. And then those producers have to say yes in order to go to studio and then to network. And then there's so many yeses that have to happen before I get to step on set and live my dream as an actress. So that's why I started my blog, Madison Charles in 2014, where again, people made fun of me and it was not the time for an actress to be doing a blog or selling product. And why I'm about to start other ventures moving forward is I didn't want to have to wait for so many yeses in order for me to do what I feel like I was put on this earth to do, which is to, like I said, be the person that I needed. So that's, you know, whether it's giving advice or giving a tip or sharing my story or helping to motivate I think that's really what drives me. And I think my career as an actress is one way that I do that. And then there's multiple ways that I am choosing to do it moving forward. And I think today, obviously, with social media being what it is and online content being what it is, we have the ability to wake up every day. And without someone having to say, yes, you could do this today, I get to choose whether I'm going to make a difference in someone's life. And yeah. That's, I mean, first of all, that's such a healthy outlook. And I'm I'm so impressed with how you've grown over the years. And I don't know if I've ever even told you that in person. I, I think I have, but you've really evolved in such an amazing capacity. And and it's it's amazing that I love that you looked at it from the perspective of to do what I love to do as an actress. There are so many yeses that have to happen. My agent, my blah, 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 all the way up to producers. That's to say nothing of all the no's that we hear oh bef- before you even get to that first yes. So, so it's not for the faint of heart. That's for sure. But I love that it's it's so true that in this day and age, there's so many avenues. It's not like it used to be where you have to submit a black and white headshot and and then some some you know person with a cigar goes, ah, I like this kid. Let's put him through. And it's not it's not like that anymore. Now it's it's there's there's actually people who are succeeding who might not necessarily deserve that success. And when I say deserve, I'm using air quotes because it's more someone who all of a sudden just got like a million views on YouTube. They're not really trained. They're not really a good actor or a really good host or whatever it is, but yet they get the job because they have the following, right? Which is because basically the the network execs want eyeballs on, on the project. And they're like, well, this person will bring eyeballs to the project. What are your thoughts on that scenario? Because... There's, I mean, I've talked to a lot of people and, and people are not happy about that, th- this new shift in the genre, just to make sure that we're understanding here that this isn't me airing a grievance. This is me like saying, no. hey, I've heard this. So what are your thoughts on it's, it? It honestly sucks. Like Darren <laughs> and I have so many times been like, you know, I know someone personally who has a couple million followers and she's not even an actress. And I remember being with her and her being like, oh, wow, I just... I got this offer to do this huge movie. And I was like, really? Did you audition? She's like, yeah, I just had like a Skype call. I just kind of wanted to see if I could read a line. And I remember being like, wow, that's what this world is coming to. But I want to share my view on this. I'm not angry at that because I believe that if a role is meant to be yours, it's going to be yours regardless of the number of followers you have, regardless of all of those elements. I believe that when roles are being given to people, like with the air quotes, you saying that they don't deserve it. They're not trained. They don't want it. This career is not something that you just, like you say, jump into and, you know, throw it against the wall. You have to eat, sleep, live, and breathe it because all the yeses we were talking about, I mean, for every yes I've ever gotten, there's thousands and thousands of no's. Mm-hmm. And not only thousands of no's, but thousands of too, too, too pretty, not pretty enough, too skinny, not skinny enough, too tall, too short. Her eyes are weird. Her this is that. Like, I, I never actually got my eyes are weird, but you know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> but too modern looking. She can't play it. You know, just it's too small. There's so many criticism or there's so many, what's the word I'm looking for? Like criteria, criti- criteria or so many, you're, you're ripped apart from head to toe. Mm-hmm. And I've always ignored all of that. And I've always said, I'm just going to eat, sleep, live, and breathe it. And when my role is meant to be mine, it's going to be mine regardless of followers and regardless of all that stuff. But the other thing I want to say is that 
when you aren't prepared and you aren't trained and you're not necessarily a good actor and you don't eat, sleep, live and breathe it and you get that opportunity, A, you're not necessarily going to shine. And B, that success doesn't last because success lasts when you have pounded the pavement and or not necessarily. There are a lot of really talented people that have really great careers that got lucky. But as they're getting lucky, they're choosing to hone their craft. They're choosing to study and to learn and to people who are born into famous families that get these opportunities. And it's really easy for them, but they're amazing. Like a Kate Hudson, for example, but there's no way that Kate Hudson didn't pound the pavement in terms of, she might've had the opportunity, but she, I'm pretty sure studied hard and, you know, grew up, eat, sleep, living and breathing it. So I'm not mad at, at, at the whole social media numbers. It's hard when I've tested for roles and I don't get it because someone has more followers than me. It really sucks. But I've always just had the mentality that, okay, that role wasn't meant to be mine and my role will come and I just have to keep trucking on. It always comes back to the idea of faith, right? I love that you said, follow your purpose. That is that like, and I don't even know if you said it implicitly or if you actually said you have to follow your purpose, but it's true. If you wake up every day and you know what it is that you're, you're meant to be doing and you go and do that, that is the most important thing that anyone can do because, and I've said this on the show before, at the end of the day, we all have something that we excel at. Every single person has something that they are better at doing than every other person on the planet. It's your thing. Nobody does it the way you do. And if you can find out what that is and understand your purpose and know, like for Kelly, it's about helping people laugh through a hard time or understand that they're not alone through a different time or help them with tips or whatever it is to help themselves. I mean, we have very similar purposes. We want to help people evolve and be better. And so I just wanted to touch on one thing before I, before we wrap up, because I, I, I want to ask you a question and then I want to just touch on one other thing because you mentioned being an underdog, right? Which is such an interesting thing because anyone from the outside looking in, they see you doing all these amazing movies and TV projects and they see you on red carpets and they see you with your husband and your beautiful daughter. And from the outside looking in, Kelly, your life is the absolute definition of perfection, there are photo shoots of you in Monaco. You were proposed to in Paris in front of the Eiffel Tower. You, I mean, your life is literally from the outside looking in. It is a fairy tale. Now, of course, for everyone listening right now, you know that on the inside, right? Yes, there are fairy tale like moments in Kelly's life, but from the outside looking in, it looks perfect. And yet you feel like an underdog. Talk about that for half a second. Well, everything in my life that I've ever acquired came from hard, hard work. So even that proposal in Paris, what you're not seeing, you're seeing the end result of the beautiful proposal in Paris, but you're not seeing the years of work that Darren and I did on our relationship to get to where, to that moment. So social media is a highlight reel. We show really great moments of our lives and that's what it's there for, right? A lot of people don't necessarily go to social media to hear about people's problems. They go on to forget about people, about their own problems. So Darren and I, our journey was not sunshine and roses the whole time. We, we, he had to, he had to deal with someone who was came to him very broken. And for someone who's had a pretty easy childhood and no real complications in that way, no real issues with, relationships. It's a lot of work when two people come together like that and a lot of time and energy. And so our journey wasn't what you see on Instagram. We've had to work really, really, really hard to get to where we are and to get to that moment, that photo that you're talking about. Everything that I've acquired in my life has been through hard work. I would watch people around me and I would see friends just get roles and they would just, or even on social media, they would, their numbers would hit a million and everyone, I'm still like slowly building, you know? And one thing I'll say about my followers is it might not be a huge following, but let me tell you, they are so incredibly loyal. And it's like there, I have what 90,000 best friends and we have such a beautiful community. So I might not have 9 million followers, but those 90,000, let me tell you, we are a strong community of people. And I'm so proud that although it's taking me a while to build that it's so solid and i've watched people just explode and 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 everything that i've done from social media to my acting career to my relationship to my fertility journey i 
it took Darren and I a while to get pregnant and there's no reason it shouldn't have happened. We were both two very healthy people and I would just turn around everywhere I looked, people were getting pregnant and it was so easy. Why was it so difficult for me? And so I do feel like on a side note, I feel like the fertility journey happened for a reason because I was supposed to go down the rabbit hole and acquire all the information about fertility that I did so that I could share it with people who might be going through the same and help people and help them help it happen to them faster. But, you know, I can tell you right now that our own cousin, when I was living out here, looked at his mom two days before I booked Young and the Restless and said, what the hell is she still even doing here? Go home. So the odds people have always just, I feel like been waiting for me to throw in the towel. And I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, I remember the parents of kids we grew up with always saying those Kruger kids are going to be so messed up. And those Kruger kids basically don't have a shot. Look at, look at their upbringing, look at. And so I feel like I've always been the underdog in that way. And I think everyone could kind of maybe relate to that to some extent, but I don't think anybody on the outside looking in at my life, like you said, would ever think of me as an underdog. It's so true. But at the end of the day, everyone roots for the underdog, right? And so I've always been rooting for you. Of course, you're my sister. But at the end, (laughs) at the end of the day, I want to challenge that underdog status because Mm -hmm. I don't believe you are anymore. I know you always Mm -hmm. have been, but now you are succeeding. And I know that there's challenges along the way, but the underdog is not necessarily always the one that wins. They're the ones that are expected to lose. And in my eyes, at least, I always expect you to win. So with respect to enhanced living, and by the way, I understand I'm not taking away your feeling of always having been the underdog. I'm just saying that in my eyes, I always expect you to win. So... And that might be just a testament to your determination because you are one of the most determined human beings I've ever met. But (laughs) one thing I will say about that is I've always had the motto in my head from as long as I can remember that I'm either going to be successful or I'm going to die trying. So there is no plan B. And I think when you ingrain that from a young age, it's that determination really is it's going to happen. And if it doesn't happen, I'll die before it does. But damn it, I'm going to try my best and I'm not going to give up. And there is no plan B. And I think that's a really important mantra for people to have. I think that's wonderful. And actually, it's sort of the answer to the question I was going to ask next before we wrap up, which is for enhanced living, I always like to leave my listeners with something that they can apply to their life right now to live better and to live life enhanced and to really improve their, their situation. Would you say that that's it? Don't give up. No plan B. Just succeed. Or I, I don't like using die trying, but at the same time, really, it's kind of what it is, right? I think my favorite quote is, once you make a decision, the universe aspires to make it happen. I just messed up the quote. It's one of my favorites, but it's something along the lines of, when you decide something's going to be, things are going to happen to make it so in the universe. So I really feel like it starts with that decision. And when you make that decision that this is what I'm going to do, or this is who I'm going to be today, or this is what I want and just have blinders on and focus on that. And if you need to put up a vision board or you need to put up photos that inspire you every single morning, I personally write in a gratitude journal and it sounds so cliche and she's like, Oh, count your Mm -hmm. blessings. But I have a five minute journal. It's the first thing I do when I wake up in the morning is I write three things that I'm grateful for and be very, very specific about that. And then the next thing is what you want to happen today. And then you write a mom brain. What's the word I'm looking for? Not a mantra. Affirmation. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Then you write an affirmation of who you are in this moment. And if you do that every single day, then at the end of the day, which is what I love about this five minute journal is you write amazing things that happened and how could you make tomorrow better? And when you constantly, for me personally, when how I can make tomorrow better is the same thing every single day, eventually you make that change. So I think it's about making a decision, sticking to it, and using the right tools to help you get where you need to go. That means things like gratitude. That means surround yourself with the right people. That means read and consume the right content and including consuming the right types of foods. Just make a choice to be the best and do everything 
that you need to in order to achieve that? And what does that look like? I love that. Cal, obviously, you know, I can talk to you all day. Thank you so much for being on the show today. I know you have some things coming up that you may or may not be able to talk about. Is there anything you want to share with the audience today about things that you have coming up that you're excited about real quick, where they can find you? Or is it still under wraps? Well, you can find me on social media at Kelly L. Kruger and my blog, kellykrugerbrooks.com. I have a really exciting show coming up that I can't say quite yet, but stay tuned. It's something that's going to be really, really, really fun. And I have a podcast launching soon. Ah. A podcast called The Unlikely Underdog. <laughs> it's a great title, I, if I do say so myself. Thank you. I, uh, <laughs> someone helped me come up with that. I can't someone imagine. Someone who I that. might be looking at right now. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know what? You're amazing. I'm so inspired by the amazing work that you've continuously done, Cal. And thanks for coming on the show today and doing this with me, because I know I know it can be weird talking to your brother in an interview setting. But honestly, I think that there's just so much to be learned from your journey because so many people feel like everything's just slapping them in the face constantly. And really, it's the attitude of I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to win. I'm going to win. I'm going to win, obviously, in a healthy way. But that's how you've continuously succeeded in your life. And I'm so proud of you. Thanks, Ad. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm so proud of you. And this podcast is amazing. And it's going to help so many people. And I'm really, it actually is what inspired me to start my own podcast, to be honest with you. Well, you know that. <laughs> but I'm super proud of this and, and how many lives you're affecting by doing this. And I'm excited to have been a small part of it. Thank you so much, Kelly. Love you. Love you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Enhanced Living Podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions, comments, or feedback, feel free to reach me directly at enhancedliving.net. Thanks for listening.